Welcome to the Male Fertility Podcast, a podcast designed to help support and educate men as they go through their own fertility struggles. Hi, I'm Kieran. And I'm Sean. And we'll do that by sharing our stories of what we went through, as well as having guests share their knowledge and experience. Right, let's get into today's episode. Well, here we are, mate. Episode yeah. one, the first official episode of the Male Fertility Podcast. We finally made it. It's not the intro. This is the real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Number one, numero uno. I think actually <laughs> if, it, if it was a TV series, it would be, this one would simply be called Pilot. I feel like we've done a few though. We mentioned this before, but we, yeah. we are here. We are here and we're happy to be here. So let's, let's just crack straight on, man. So yeah. how's, uh, how's, your, how's your week been? All right. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, as you'll know, or as you know, we were ill last week, the whole family yeah. um, all got COVID, which I think, I, well, I thought was well out of fashion now, but it turns out it's still around. Oh, it's still knocking time. around, mate. It's uh, yeah. it's out there. A lot of people that I've talked to recently have had it. A lot of people I know have had it. Um, I, I think we had it in the summer, um, mm. just before we went back to school. So there's been a wave of it. You know, it comes into schools and outs of schools, but I haven't picked it up. And I think it's because I've recently had it. So it's it's, it's still trying to get my head around it all though. Like what happened over the last three years? It's it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I'm sure at some point we'll discuss that in terms of people's fertility journeys, but you're feeling better. I'm feeling fine. So it's all good right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, oh, the introductory episode we did last week, I'm a little bit hoarse. I was having to hold back a lot of coughs <laughs> on it. But um, yeah, fully fit now. All good. How are yeah, you? I, I noticed that little on and off button on the old, uh, on the mic going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. It's been, it's been a bit of a, a mad week for the, the Hannington household. Um, my son, Sebi, managed to trip over. He didn't get his hands out in time and um chipped all his front teeth and knocked one tooth up slightly into his gum uh, smashed all his chin up um so i was waiting for some clients to come into the gym i got a frantic phone call from jen saying can you go to sebi he's had a fall he's had an accident so i went to him paul covered in blood all crying and but he was nails through it he cried Hmm. but he um he was on a walk they were going on a night hike like just around the local uh, well, local race course. And he just tripped. It was just an accident. But he wanted to finish the walk. Oh, like, you can't, mate. You've got to get you to hospital. So we got him there and then that's all right. And then the dentist the next day and they fixed his teeth and then it fell out and then we had to go back and it just rolled on, you know. And then on top of that, we had uh, Enya's third birthday at the weekend. Which is another experience, you know, three-year-olds running around. <laughs> equally, but, as tra- equally as traumatic as uh, well, falling over and knocking your teeth out, yeah. <laughs> for me, no, it was, it was a lovely, lovely time. And um, moments that I'll treasure, you know, because there was generally times that I, I didn't think I'd have those moments. So mm. as stressful as they are, um, as chaotic as they are, every moment's precious you know the good and the bad you learn from it you develop as an individual as a father whatever way you want to put it so yeah it's been an interesting Hannington household week <laughs> yeah sounds a lot more interesting than mine that's all just staying in yeah you know. well 
in between that, I've fitted in everything else I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like spinning plates, isn't it? But uh, yeah, no, top man is um like you said, you know, you touched on a few a few things there about uh, parenting and um, how it is. It's hard, but people in our boat, uh, having had our experience, we we do have that different perspective on it really of, of gratitude and even for the hard moments and, and it's not to say that we don't find those moments hard but you kind of bounce back quicker uh, yeah when, yeah, when yeah. it is getting tough but that's yeah. something we'll, we'll definitely discuss more at length i'm sure in, in in future episodes definitely definitely i think you know um it's a topic worth worth talking about you know because hopefully the guys and girls that are watching the, listening to this you know, their end goal is to be parents. And if you're successful, like, I think it is slightly different if you're, um, if you've been through journeys like ours mm. or experiences yeah. like ours, it, you have questions, you have thoughts. Um, and just like, as you go through your own fertility journey, you're not the only one that thinks like that and have, having those thoughts. So we need to discuss it at some point. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But, but today we're we're talking about you mate we're talking about you and your journey and i, I know you don't like that word i'm gonna say it in brackets the journey <laughs> yeah. um but this is something that i've been looking forward to obviously we we know each other quite well now but before we started really developing our friendship um uh, i didn't know everything about your journey and i still don't so for me this is going to be really interesting uh, i'm looking forward to learning about your experiences in more depth um i will ask those questions that i expect the listeners will be wanting to ask uh, i'm i'm at the privileged opportunity where i've got this mic and i can ask you them um so it's, it's just crack on mate i think so yeah. how did it all start like start right at the beginning for us Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, even though, you know, we've had lots of chats, there are, what I find is quite often, and, and I think this is probably the trauma aspect of, of the fact that it went over years and there are bits that sometimes that I forget and, and something will remind me of, of some things and you think, oh yeah, wow, I've forgotten about that, but I'll try and get it all out today, warts and all. It's our first episode of the pod, so um, it, we, we, I can't do it a disservice by uh, by missing any part. But yeah, so my wife and I, Jenna, we've been married. Oh, I can't even do the maths now. We've been married since 2013. Ten years. God, that, Ten that's years, an easy mate. one, isn't it? Even for me, I could do that <laughs> on my fingers. <laughs> we, uh, so we got together in 2009. We married in 2013. And um, when we got married, we even then, we decided that we, we lived together, we got married, but we didn't want to, we, we always wanted kids. We'd, we'd mm. already discussed that. We discussed that when we first got together. It was both of our our dream. I actually wanted to have five kids so right. that I could run my own five-a-side football team. And she Sounds, was, sounds like a plan. Exactly. <laughs> she was a bit like, well, steady on. Um, but but we got married and, and we, but we, we said to each other, and we, we're both in agreement, we didn't want to jump straight into that. We wanted to enjoy being husband and wife for a while and, and, and enjoy each other. But the interesting thing is that even then, so we, as I said, we got married in 2013, but even then when people were saying, oh, when are you going to have kids then? Because it's literally like no sooner had I got the ring on her finger, literally, and people were saying that, like your evening do the wedding and stuff. And it's like that question was already annoying us before we yeah. knew we were going to have fertility issues uh, because people just assume we're going to follow this 
narrative that everyone in society takes or certainly used to back in like kind of the previous generations but so that 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 annoyed us anyway and then so between 2013 2017 we did exactly that we enjoyed being a husband and wife we did a lot of traveling um, just at nights out just really did like build those foundational and strong years of, of an early part of a marriage which was i think it's so vital isn't it yeah. it's that sometimes people think they have to rush into it and actually like you are the most important thing in that relationship you two the children yeah. you know may come um as we've learned but spending time together is is so so important in those early days yeah and ultimately that was we were building the foundations that we then came to rely on so so mm. deeply when when we did find out what was going to happen down the line which was for us then 2017 we um we decided that time was right we had moved house the year before we did that we were in a small cottage at first and we moved to uh, a free bed with a, a double drive a bigger garden um mm. and, and we bought an estate car we we're like right that's it let's let's have kids and uh we were to find out it's not quite that easy um jenna was on the contraceptive pill uh, so she stopped taking that and we kind of we had heard or been told that it take can take about three months to work its way out of the system so at first we didn't put ourselves under any undue pressure or stress. We just were enjoying trying to make babies. And if it happened, it happened. Um, those months rolled on though that, that three month period came and went. Um, and then suddenly it's four months, five months, six months and beyond. And it got to the end of the year and, and it still wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So we went to the doctors. Now I, you know, I've heard of, people being told to go away when you've been come back when you've been trying for this amount of time that amount of time I don't know if there is a golden rule of that but we weren't told that we've been trying for the best part of a year anyway and yeah. also I remember kind of I wouldn't say remembered but I, I in the back of my mind I always knew that I'd have mumps when I was 22 now the crucial thing with that is that it's post-puberty so 22 years old um, I started off one morning, I woke up and I had my, my neck was looking like one of those like bullfrogs or whatever they are, all swollen. And I was like, yeah. oh, shit, what's going on? I, I, I felt that I thought that maybe I had glandular fever. And then I just kept getting more ill, um, went to the doctors, had a blood test and was established quite early on that I had um, I had mumps. Next three, for three weeks, I was so poorly. And yeah. uh, that the crucial part of the link between that and, and my eventual infertility was that the swelling went south to my balls and, and they yeah. swelled up like huge, literally like the skin was taut. And, um, but that, that was 2005 and right. this was before smartphones, before we all had an absolute wealth of knowledge in our pockets. And I'd been to the doctors had, you know, this huge swelling on, on, on my balls and nothing was said to me about the potential link between mumps, especially mumps or chitis, which is the swelling of the balls and the link to infertility. Right. So because, of, because the medical professionals didn't say anything, I just carried on through life. And, and that's 2005. And, and actually my only and main concern at that time was whether I was going to make my lad's trip to Magaluf in a few I think it was a month down the line and I, it was touch and go. Like I, I was really ill. I was bedridden for, for two weeks of the three. Um, the fevers were ridiculous. Like sometimes I'd be like 
really, really hot, just in my pants. The next minute I'm freezing. I've got loads of clothes on a hat underneath a duvet. It, it, yeah, it was really poorly. But, you know, like I said, there was no link drawn to to infertility. And, and in hindsight, you think, well, it's not a stretch to, mm. to picture the link between my hugely swollen balls and the damage that that could be causing and fertility issues. It's not like I went in with a bad knee or a broken elbow or something. I was there literally with like massive balls. So, so they didn't say anything. Not a thing. No, not a thing. no link. No. It's no. unbelievable that, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when, if you go on, like you know, I know you mentioned that the internet wasn't available like it was is now in terms of just a touchy hmm. on a phone. But it's all over, like the internet, about how dangerous it is now. Um, And they would have known that then. They would have known that then. Do you think it would have um, changed your mindset at the time or like better prepared you to have known that then? That's difficult to say. I mean, the easy answer would be, oh, yeah, of course it would. But Mm. I was 22. Like my my only and main concern was getting to Magaluf and, and... Generally, my main concern was all the things a 22-year-old lad is interested in. It's like... Birds and girls, mate. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, And, 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 you know, like nights out every every Saturday, every Thursday and Saturday, me and my mates were going out. Like, yeah, like, you know, chatting up girls, etc. I'd I'd like to think so. Mm. And especially, I think, if a medical professional said, look, this could be an issue, bear it in mind. But it wasn't said. I just carried on. I went to Magaluf, made it. Um, I'd lost loads of weight because I couldn't eat for the best part of two weeks. So I thought, yeah. right, happy days. I'm cut. It didn't need to. Uh, <laughs> it's always a always a silver lining, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then the, the the actual like you know the hilarity is when I look at pictures of 22 year old me. I was such a skinny little gimp. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I, I was like, yeah, I'm in great shape. Let's go, Maga. But uh, right, so. So, you know, like fast forward, so that's 2005, fast forward is now 27, end of 2017. And in that time, like, you know, knowledge has come on a lot. And and a few things have been said over the years of, of the potential link and that. But again, you just kind of, I, I was just putting it, I was going, no, no, I'll be fine. Because I, I'd had a picture taken. So a good mate of mine, um, Warren, he, he was a postie at the time. And every he had already had mumps. So every day he would come around and, and or text me because we have one of those like early Nokia phones, like the little square screens. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you'd be like, "Oh, do you need anything?" I'd be like, "Yeah, bring me fruit polos or whatever." Because I used to like those when I was ill. And uh, one day I was like, "I don't need anything. Just come over. I need you to do something." And uh, he was like, "Yeah, how can I help?" And I dropped my pants and was like, "You need to get a picture of this." And he was just like, "Fucking <laughs> hell!" Like, I had that picture for years. I don't know where it is, but the, it, this was in the days where it cost fifty p to send a, a, a picture. Oh message. yeah, 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 so yeah. It kind of the went good old days, days viral. Yeah, exactly. But you had to really weigh up whether it was worth sending something because it cost yeah. so much money. But um, then if there was like an error, it would send twice. You're like, oh fuck, no, <laughs> cost me a quid. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that photo, you know, having had that and shown people like work colleagues thinking it was hilarious. And then it was from that. I remember one bloke saying, well, you know, that can make you sterile mumps. And I still hate that word now. Still yeah. hate it. And, um, and again, I just laughed it off. But anyway, having that in the back of my mind, somewhere in the recesses of my mind was what then when I went to the doctors, that's a huge bit of digressing there but it's got it's all relevant it's all part of the story so um, it's, it's, it's the big part of the story it's yeah. it's the potential cause of the whole mm-hmm. story isn't it it's the catalyst that 
sent it all going. Uh, and the people need to know that there might be someone on here who has listening who who hasn't put that link together. Mm. You know, they've just missed that information. So it's a very important part. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, so having that little inkling in my mind, telling the doctor that, and thankfully he took our concerns seriously, referred us on for um for tests. Uh, so I was sent out of county. We didn't have the facility where I lived um, to, to conduct sperm analysis, so I was sent up to um, Cambridgeshire. Mm. Went up there, had uh, to do a sperm sample, so you kind of you get a free one, and you know again like. I look back at myself then, and so I was 2017, 34, um, and it was all a little bit bantery, like, oh, yeah, just got to go and do this, it'd be fine. Yeah. And my only uh, inkling of what it could be like, any perception of, of giving a sperm sample was from Road Trip, the film. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. And, and, of course, it's nothing like that. And suddenly, like, when I, when I got there and I walked into this clinic, the kind of reality dawned on me very quickly. Yeah. It's very obviously like clinical, um, very sterile to use that word again, in a different context. I don't mind using it in that way. Um, and very formal, you know, you're given a form, you look at it and they're like, yep, yeah, you have to note down if you've like missed any, if you missed the cup and write down when, what time you produced the sample and all this. And then I get taken to this room and it's just the most ridiculous room. Like, there was a, a chaise lounge there, <laughs> um, a telly uh, with, and the remote was in a freezer bag. Yeah. Um, and then, well, like some magazines, um, all, all stuck together pages. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm laughing because. You're describing it exactly. I think they're up and down the country like this. They're just the same look wherever you go. And we'll we'll talk about them experiences in more detail at some point. Yeah, this is going to be an episode in itself for sure. Um, For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I joke about the magazine. I didn't actually touch them and and, and that's the other thing. So I thought there's no way my ass is going near that chaise lounge. There's no way I'm touching that remote that's in a freezer bag and there's no way I'm using those those magazines from like the 1980s. I'll give you. I'll give, I'll give you a little bit of something that happened to me. Right, I know we're in the middle of you, but once I used the magazine, and I took it. Right, and um, <laughs> we're driving home, and I said to Jen, "Have a look in that bag. I got something for you." <laughs> Brilliant. And she wasn't happy. Amazing. <laughs> but that's the end of that's one story. There's lots. There's lots to do. But... Poor bloke after you has walked in and gone. Fuck. What do I use? Well, there's no, there's nothing oh, there's lo- there was loads of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And so, thankfully, I had four uh, G, so I just used the good old internet. And oh, um, wow. yeah, it was weird, mate. And and I did it, and there was a little service hatch in the room, and I had to put it in along with the paperwork and ring a bell to say I've done it. And it's weird because yep. I had, I heard someone open the door like straight away after. Like, oh, on they're the waiting. <laughs> yeah, and um, they think, God, he's taking hedges, but um. <laughs> Then I went to leave and realised that I left the door unlocked because I was yeah. so panicked. But um, so I did that. I got got through that and um, waited. I think two weeks or so, and I was at work one day and I get a phone call and um, I knew it was the doctor's. It was my my GP. So obviously, I've got the number saved. No, it's them. So I ran outside to take it. And um, I'll never forget this moment because so the girl who phoned me, I'm pretty sure. To, I don't know who it was, but I'm pretty sure to this day it was probably the receptionist 
because yeah. essentially what she was being asked to do was phone me and ask me to book a second appointment. But so I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah. Um, she started reading the letter essentially that that she's got in front of her, and I can only imagine that she didn't proofread that letter first because she's going, yeah, you need to come. We need to get you to do a second sample, and um, it says that you've got. And then she stumbled over this word. She clearly hadn't proofread it. She was trying. She said, um, "It says you've got a uh, a a azuspermia," hmm. and I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" And she said, "I don't know." I was like, "Okay." Yeah. So, kind of there and then, booked the second um, second test in three months' time, and she explained it has to be three months. And I know now that because the sperm cycle is 90 days for sperm to regenerate. Yeah, and yeah. that's what they're trying to do to see if, see if um, any given result is an anomaly and to see yeah. if anything changes in three months. Obviously, I don't know that at the time. Get off the phone and Google this azuspermia word to find out that it means I've got zero sperm, like none. Yeah. And I was like sitting there on this concrete slab outside my office zero people have tens of millions how can i have yeah. none and it it was literally a life-changing moment and then having to phone my wife and pass on the news obviously on the phone there's no way i could have sat on that and waited till i got home no 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 a lot of guys will be um listening to this that experience exactly the same thing i know you obviously how did you feel like immediately after it was it kind of a bit of an out of world experience or was it a case of I just don't have a fucking clue what this means yeah I'd say absolutely that moment was like being in shock so mm. I remember my wife saying well like you know come home like I don't think she was at home but she's like let's go home like she was at work as well and I was like no no it's fine I'll see you at home later and I went back into the office and just carried on as if yeah. everything was normal and like throwing chucking about banter and it was ridiculous and and yeah yeah, and all I can say that 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 is shock when when you you go into that and you're not really taking anything in and, and severity of what I've just been told hasn't really really kicked in at that moment. And yeah. That came in the kind of certainly that evening and, and moving onwards and how I describe that it's like suddenly I've been chucked into this river like a fast flowing river and, and that river is fertility treatment and, and yeah. that, the fertility world and suddenly. I'm just in it. I can't get out. There's no banks. I'm just flowing along fast. And it's such a rough ride that sometimes I'm getting pulled under and, and I'm like, I can't breathe. Other times I might pop up and you hit a bit of a, a bit of a, like a slow spell on the water yeah. and suddenly you're not really moving forward. You're just kind of there stuck. And Floating. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the doldrums. Like that's what fertility journey is like. It's, it's either rapid or, or slow and you can be waiting months for appointments yeah. and results and referrals and and that's essentially so i went and did the the second test in, in mm. march 2018 and uh yeah the result was the same none so then the whole rest of that year the whole of 2018 from from well essentially you know, that first phone call to january the second um was in march which confirmed it that, that whole year was then just being pushed from pillar to post, tests here, 
go to this hospital, speak to this urologist. And then I'm like, what's a urologist? Oh, then you go and speak to this andrologist. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between that and a urologist? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. and you have to take on all these new terms, all these new scientific and medical words you've never heard before. You don't want to hear, you don't want to be part of it. And but, you, but you're forced to. You're it's, in it. You're it's in that it case of that complete. Within one phone call, you've lost complete control. Mm. Like yeah. uh, it's it's incredibly hard, man. And there'd yeah. be like I said previously, there'd be guys on here that are there now. Um, yeah. So, so you're being pushed pillar to post, um, and you don't know what how you're feeling, where you're going. What what happened next, mate? What what um I, I'm I'm you know, it's that's why I'm trying so hard not to fast forward, but almost nothing happened in, in twenty eighteen. Um right. it was just a really hard year in terms of so we've got this upset. We know that and you you mentioned the word like control. We we like suddenly we've got this complete lack of control. Things aren't mm. in our hands to create the family we wanted. And then it's trying to get NHS funding. Um, you know, it's a ridiculous situation in this country where it, the postcode lottery is is real. Our yeah, it's a real thing. It's oh, out it's, there. Yeah, I mean, I'll come on to it in a bit, but like a really shit situation with it. Um, ultimately, with with another couple actually. But so in in our area, we lived in Hertfordshire at the time, and mm. they didn't have any clinics or hospitals that did fertility treatment. So they essentially outsource it and they, should you be, should should you be eligible to to get the NHS funding? You then, where we lived, you then get a package essentially to be funded for two cycles. Two cycles where you were, yeah? Yeah. But I could, well, we could take that funding and go to whatever clinic we chose. Right, Um, Obviously that would, certain clinics have certain prices, so that package will get you so much in some places and Mm. others you might get a bit more or whatever, but so we, but that, that didn't, that funding didn't come through and get approved until November of 2018. Right. And, and I was away for work. And I, I remember like, this isn't when we got the funding, but I remember my wife being just a, such a low ebb because the woman who ultimately signed everything off. So you have all sorts of hoops to jump through to get funding mm-hmm. on the NHS. It's about your age, whether you've got previous children um your bmi uh the checklist is long it's a joke and and it's stressful and um i and and then the woman who ultimately had the sign off only worked fridays and um i remember i was away on this friday my wife phoned me and she just lost her shit because like this woman, she had, I think, said the previous week, yeah, I'll definitely get it done next week. And then she phoned the office and she was like, oh, yeah, they've gone. And I can't, I think they might have looked up the file or something said, yeah, it hasn't been done. So my wife, I mean, I was, I was, I was in Hampshire at the time and I just couldn't get home. To, and she was really so upset. Because, yeah. you know, time's ticking on. We've almost done a whole year now just trying to get this funding and trying to get things cracking. Yeah. And, and fortunately, it was, it, it was, pretty shortly after that it, it did go through and i think part of that was that my wife went absolutely apeshit at that yeah. moment because and you know there's ways of going about things that we know that ultimately shouting and screaming is not going to get everything you need but sometimes you need to sometimes you're like if you if you don't get heard you don't get seen you yeah. know um so at this point mate you would have been 
from if you say in brackets trying for a baby to this point it's like nearly two years is that yeah. right yeah basically yeah it's yeah. a long time isn't it like especially yeah. when you just anticipate that it's going to happen and society kind of tells you it's just going to happen yeah um so i i kind of i know exactly how well, i know exactly how you feel because we've been mm. through a similar thing but you can understand uh jenna's upset that need for a baby's there isn't it yeah. and yours as well yeah um it's a long time two years a real long yeah. time well that's the thing like the whole of 2017 was kind of like like the initial excitement okay let's do it let's let's get yeah. that baby we, like i said we had everything all the other pieces in place like the home and everything and then and then the, the as the months went on it started getting a bit more tiresome because it's like yeah. trying to just then produce on demand and i, I remember really well and she jenna denies it <laughs> but i was um i was at work walking walking along the street with, with a colleague and um she phones me and she's like where are you? I'm like, well, I'm at work. <laughs> Cause at this point she was doing those um, ovulation tests. Yeah. The ovulation tests. Yeah. yeah. And she goes, um, uh, can you come home? I'm like, Oh no, I'm at work. Like, you're okay. What's up? Type thing. She was like, Oh, it's just, um, it's a really good time. And I was like, well, we'll be home in a couple of hours. She's like, just get home as quick as you can. <laughs> and, uh, and I hung up the phone and, um, and, and my colleague, he's a mate now. And like, He's, he had three kids and he knew, he just knew what that phone call was about. He could tell. He could tell. He'd <laughs> been there. The tone of the mumbling he could hear coming yeah. through the phone. Yeah. yeah. And he just went, trying. And I went, yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes, yes, yeah, get stressful when it's like that. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, and, and then you get, as I said, 2018, the whole year where we're not seemingly making any progress. And then, then we get the funding and, and 2019 things really start picking up pace. So we, um, mm. We chose our clinic up in, uh, we chose Bourne Hall up in Cambridgeshire because um, we were in the middle of, of there or London, but we're looking at some of the London ones, some of the Harley Street ones, but then you, you we would have to get the training most of the time yeah. to appointments and, and you're taking, you know, with public transport, there's something you don't want to be missing appointments or then if I had to have operations, I don't want to be getting the train home. And um, as it happens, I did have, um, an operation booked in with through the NHS um, mm. at a, a London hospital, the UCLH. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we chose our clinic um, up in Cambridgeshire, went to the initial appointments and, and the urologist there said, I carry on with that because so that then comes on to a potential second cause of, of my infertility. Um, so as I was saying, kind of like getting all those initial referrals going to this different person, that different person, and the amount of different doctors that had their hands on my, my balls that I lost count yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. And um you get used one, to it after a while, don't yeah, you? Yeah, like... you do. You just kind of like, yeah, drop your trousers, okay, <laughs> there you go. And it was quite it was established actually quite early on that I had also had a varicocele. Yeah. Now a varicocele is it's like a varicose vein, um, but it's above the balls, like in yeah. in, in the sack, above where the balls sit. Now, the reason our our balls sit uh, below the body and they hang loose is because sperm needs a cooler environment to really thrive. Um, It needs to be about two degrees cooler than body temperature. Now, what a varicocele does, because they're really bulbous, big veins, they then overheat the balls. Um, 
and make them hotter than what they should be. And they, they, they can completely stop the manufacture of sperm or it can just hugely degrade yeah. sperm quality. Um, and in my case, it was hoped that if I have the operation to treat that, which is called a varicocele embolization, that I may go from producing no sperm yeah. to some. <clears throat> uh, I was told that, you know, it's very unlikely that you're then going to conceive naturally, but what they hoped was that if I would then start producing some naturally, that I could just give a sample, which is the relatively easy option when it comes to fertility treatment, and certainly as to what I came on uh, and ended up having to do, which I'll come on to. Um, but then that could be used for fertility yeah. treatment. Um, so I had that operation in March uh, 2019, and it, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've I'd never been in hospital before then. I'd never had any operations and it was my first experience and it wasn't They're great. They're unusual experiences, um, aren't they? Like I've ha- I've had one. Were you awake? Yeah. yeah, I was awake for mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, me too. It is a bizarre, bizarre, bizarre experience because it's not necessarily painful. It's not painful at all. It's just mm. unusual. I found it very unusual. Um I think unusual hits the fucking yeah. nail on the head. So, so the University College Hospital in London is a, is a university hospital. They have, you know, the, the next generation of doctors yeah. are training there. And I, I was asked if I was willing to let a student doctor mm. do the operation, and I said yes. They said it's a final year student, um, so you know, very experienced. He'll be, he'll have an experienced person next to him. Um, and I was like, I'm all for it. I'm, you know, the NHS is yeah. a wonderful thing. We're very lucky to have it. And I thought I need to be supporting the next generation. If he's not doing it, he, like, how's he going to know how to do it on his own one day? He's got to do it. Someone's got to be the one. So I was like, yeah, of course he can. And um, so I'm conscious. I've, they've put, um, essentially cut out. So they go in through most of the time. And I think in America, more often than not, considering the veins are down near your balls, I think in America, they'll go in through your pelvis. And, and but in, in, I think more commonly in the UK, this is just my from what I've heard, they were going through the neck, mm. which they did to me. Did no, they, they went in through the groin for me. So the way that's been explained to me is going in through the groin is like going through the country roads to yeah. get where they need. But going in through the neck is like just taking go straight M4. down. It's yeah. More direct. Yeah. yeah. And so what they did, I was under this big shroud and... Um, they, they put it oh, this big blanket over me, just apart from a square where my neck is, and I and um I have to I had to lean to the left because it was going on the right hand side, and at first they put um like a catheter down through me and then in, injected dye and I could yeah. feel that dye it was like cold. Obviously they they locally um they, they'd done a local anaesthetic by this point, but I could feel the dye through my body. Because then what they do they put a catheter through and and essentially then they're passing a yeah. wire through my body, and it's. And it's weird, as I say this, I swear I can feel the wire. It's like giving me that that kind of weird kind of feeling to say yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. here. Um, but they do this all via uh, X-ray, essentially. They watch a screen watching this metal wire going through my body, and that's why they eject the dye so they can see it. Um, and the reason, or certainly in, in this case, in my case, we're going down through the neck, the main reason why they want to keep you awake is that at certain times I had to breathe in so that they could easier bypass yeah. certain areas of the body or whatever just help, to open, help, veins open or whatever, the valves and things it helps just movements. yeah yeah and so even but so it got to a few times they said right we need you to breathe in 
and keep a keep uh, like biggest breath you can take and then hold your breath and then come like you know 30 seconds or so later they say okay breathe out I'm like right good then it started kind of going a little bit downhill and you'd hear things that you don't want to hear when you have an operation i heard the experienced bloke go whoa, whoa, whoa stop 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 you know you didn't want to do that that would have been game over <laughs> um you're like uh, and i'm like I'm lying there thinking, what? Yeah. Fuck. Like, game over? What? what? (laughs) Lights out, mate. Done. Done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, there was another thing. Do you know, I, I I haven't, I don't often, I I don't want to berate, you know, I, I, I volunteer, but there was another thing that I I haven't recalled the story that much. So, um, I'm hard to, it's hard to remember, but there's another thing. I think it's something like, oh, yeah, not quite sure what you've done there Mm. or something like that. And so, so it's not going great at this point for me. And, um, <laughs> yeah, not, and, not the and, best experience. And, and no, and and what they'd done, they'd left like the kind of the left side of the, the shroud open, and every now and again, this nurse, really nice nurse, would come and just look in and say, "You okay?" I'm like, "Yeah," because I'm, I had to stay with my head to mm-hmm. the left, and that was aching as well, like kind of really far over because they're obviously plugging away and pulling. Oh no, I've just remembered what it was. I could feel my neck like where they were pulling around and yeah. going in and i said to them this is probably five minutes into the op and um i was like oh just one thing and they're like yeah i was like yeah i can feel that should i be feeling that and they're like um no <laughs> so, so they, they gave me a little bit more of a dose of um yeah. the anesthetic that's what it was and uh um so i've done that the breath holding thing a couple of times and then um they've done it again they said nice big breath please and i'm there and you know i've got people with implements inside yeah. my body. I'm going to do exactly what they tell me to do and when. And I'm there and I'm like, any danger of telling me to breathe out? Any danger? Any da-? And, and, and they're not telling me. And suddenly I'm like, holding my breath, like kind of starting to convulse a little bit because I'm desperately trying not to breathe out because I'm like, if I breathe out, yeah. is it gonna, am I going to put myself at serious risk? And, um, and then the nurse obviously saw that I was squirming and um, came came over and just peered in and were like, are you okay? And I said, can I breathe out? Can I breathe out? And she was like, and then I heard the doctors go, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry, you can breathe out. You're <laughs> holding your breath for 30 seconds, a minute. Oh, oh my God, it was more than that way. I think it was about was it? a minute and a half by that point. You know, but I've always been quite good at holding my breath, but you know, that takes Yeah, but when the adrenaline's um, going and the yeah. heart rate is pumping, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah. it becomes even harder. So... That that was that. I had that operation, and um, and then another three months of waiting yeah. ensued because, uh, like I was saying, like you know, they were hoping that I could then produce some naturally, and um, again, that three months sperm sperm cycle wait comes. So that was from March to June, and then I go to to do the sample, and uh, yeah, the same yeah. again. It was negative, and um, and that, and by by actually that sample we went up to do at the uh, what was now our fertility clinic, and um, they they had an um, embryology department on site, so they could rather than waiting two weeks for a result, you could get yeah. it immediately. And uh, so we left there, driving back to Hertfordshire, and my wife was going to drop me off at a train station to um, so I go into London to go to work, and got the phone call. We just pulled up in the train station car park, got the phone call and uh, to say the results hadn't changed. It was, it mm. was still zero. And we were absolutely yeah. crushed. 
uh, at that point that we had put a lot of hope into that operation because it was a relatively yeah. minor one. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd only actually been given 30% chance that it, that it might work. And we, yeah, we'd only been given about 30% chance that it would yeah. work. But 30%, that's a good chunk, you know. Right, and, you really and, hold on to it. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, really had grasped, like, really tightly onto that. And I, I'm an optimist anyway. I always have been a positive person. And, and I was convinced it was going to work. And then to get that phone call that day, to say that there was still no sperm that really mm. crushed us crushed us and i remember we were so we were at that trace station car park and uh, uh just life could be cruel sometimes we've just received that phone call and then a girl walked past the car with with a pram yeah. and a baby in. and um I, I remember jenna just being so upset and i was like you know where do we go from here what do we do and we were just back it we were essentially back in that yeah. state of shock and i remember her actually saying because i was like well that's it i'm phoning work i'm not going in she was like no go in she's like I, I need time i need to to be alone and so that that was you know really tough leaving her but you know you have to respect when you're going through stuff like this you're gonna need times where of course you rely on each other and need each other to prop each other up but there are other times where you do need that that time alone or time with friends or whatever and and, and so that's what she'd asked for. And I, I went into work. And again, like I said earlier, I went in essentially trying to act like everything's yeah. normal. And I've just had the most crushing news. And um, so then kind of that's June. Um, and, and the urologist up at the, the fertility clinic has said, if, if that didn't work, which we know it didn't, I have this option of something called a yeah. micro TZ. And uh, this was the nuclear option, so to speak. Um, this was having my, my balls cut open and, and to look for sperm directly from source, exactly where it's being made in, in the hope that they can recover some and to see if there's potentially an issue where it's being blocked from coming out or by the time it comes out, it's, they're, they're not viable for, or, yeah. or whatever. So to try and get them and get them straight into the, to, into the lab to be able to use again for, for IVF or most likely ICSI at this point, selecting you know, one particular sperm and putting it in the egg. And um, I didn't know if I was going to go for it, actually, that uh, that we were offered one in, they kind of penciled us in for August 22. Sorry, 22? No, of course not. That's last year. August yeah. 19, um, which was two months after that. Well, no, two, yeah, two months after that last yeah. result, but um, some five months after the varicocele operation. But because of my experience of that varicocele op, and, and how horrible it was, essentially. I, I was reluctant to do it. Um, I'd been given this sheet of information of, of the side effects, and obviously with any major operation, there's kind of generic side effects, like massive yeah, blood yeah. loss, blah, blah, blah. But one of the concerning was, ones was that um, it can essentially decimate your, your testosterone levels and, and prevent my body, my, my balls, from, from right. creating it anymore. And... Um, uh, that that was quite concerning because my levels, the highest I'd ever known them to be, was still on the lower end of normal for yeah. someone of my age, and that, that that was established when I first started having um, like the initial tests and stuff. Um, and I and I started to kind of think about uh, alternate routes to parenthood. So my wife and I, we had always agreed that no matter what it took, we were going to be parents. We kind of had this motto of 
we haven't come this far to only yeah. get this far. That was carrying us through a lot. And, um, but, yeah, we talked about whether we, like, we could use donor sperm or adoption, for example. I, I'd i ruled out fostering because my mum still is a foster carer and as, um, as of now has been for about what, 26, 27 yeah. years or something. So I'd had a first-hand experience of that kind of, of kids coming and going and go like being adopted or moving on. And that wasn't for me. I wanted a, a degree of permanence. So the options for us were kind of adoption or donor sperm. And I, I was coming to terms with it because we're now talking summer 2019. So now two and a half years since we first yeah. started trying a year and a half since diagnosis. And not only was 2018 really hard because we weren't seemingly making progress, but it was really hard for me because I was essentially going mm. through grief and I didn't know that at the time, but I was going through these feelings of, so grief in no particular order, the first four stages are denial, blame, anger, depression. And, and I, I don't think it matters. There might be a, 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 a defined way that the experts have written it, but I can tell you from firsthand experience that they come and go in yeah. waves. And I remember them acutely. Um, I remember the blame one, for example, because I phoned my mum and like almost accused her of saying, well, like, well, why didn't I have the MMR jab when I was a kid? And she was like, you did. So, cause you know, I was looking for a reason why yeah. I had the mumps, but uh, like to try and blame her and, you know, as cruel as that is, but of course I'm not of rational mind at this time because, you know, with grief, people associate that with, um, like losing someone, yeah. but I, I was losing some, I was losing something. I was, it was the death of my ability to pass on my genetics. And so I was grieving that. I didn't know this at the time. I was going to say, we've talked about this, haven't we off camera in terms of you really go through this self finding journey. Like, um, mm. you almost lose your identity of who you think you are. Yeah. Um, and you grieve for that. You, you grieve for that yeah. and it's not until you process those stages that you've just kind of discussed or highlighted that you um you start to really become aware of it and he, i think i've talked to guys you've talked to guys that are going through that uh are still going through that have been through it uh, and everyone's length for time in each of those or whether they're combined is all different it's such a scramble um mm. it's yeah. incredible yeah there is no you can't force you can't. your way through it that, that's you what can't. i learned you have to let things play out i just wanted to kind of highlight that it, what you've just said really resonates with me as well and i'll talk about that in the next episode um but yeah. it's important that guys that are listening to this out there realize that that is a completely normal process to go through um and it's it's yeah. almost it's, it's vital to be able to process it Otherwise, you won't get to yeah, where you need yeah. to be to process it. So, yeah, I mean, having gone through that grief, ultimately the last part of grief is acceptance. And, and this is a, a, the, the kind of more active phase that you have to reach. Uh, the first four phases, I was very much being dragged through it, sometimes unconsciously, not knowing why. I was just angry all the time. But with acceptance, I had to really start pushing myself there. And what I realised is it... I'm, I'm, this is, you know, an overarching kind of view viewpoint of my whole story. We are going to 
go in more depth about everything that we're talking about because there's so many similarities between us and talk about our perceptions. But ultimately, what really started to build the bridges for me and get me to the point where I was considering alternate routes to parenthood was um, the acceptance of who, who started to accept who I was and actually how much more I had to give as, as a, a man, as a husband and as a father. Yeah, I, I, I sorry, mate, just jump in there because it's just echoes exactly what I I went through, but from a different experience, if you know what yeah. I mean, like a different angle. It, it really, it's a self-discovery journey, isn't it? As well, mm-hmm. not just one about this physical journey that you're going on with your treatment. You learn so much about yourself um, and that acceptance, I think, is probably the hardest part of it all. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to guys, you've talked to guys, like everyone comes across that at a different state at different times. Um, But so much similarity. And yeah, we're going through so much more detail, but... um Obviously, today is just kind of like a brief description of your story, but already we'll be there'll be people listening to this echoing. <laughs> that, that's me. That's where I am. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's um, you know, this is the, these are essentially our introductory episodes. So people get to know us, what we've been through, and where we are. But there are like, everything I'm talking about needs to be um like almost deconstructed yeah. and it'll be the same for your story because there are so many parts and it's so complex. Like I'm talking about grief, like I'm just summed it up there in maybe eight or nine minutes or so. Yeah, talk, that, takes- that was, it was like 18 months, to two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's just like, like you said, you've summed it up, but to actually go into detail is a completely different, you know, um, different podcast <laughs> yeah exactly stay tuned right we hope you're enjoying the first episode of the male fertility podcast we just want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor exceed health exceed health are on a mission to improve your chances of becoming a father by making it easier for you to understand your fertility using an entirely at home test kit you are now able to analyze your sperm from the comfort of your own home. Paired with your phone, you're able to see close-up images of your sperm and Exceed's analysis gives you results within minutes, showing you the progressive sperm count, which is the number one indicator of male fertility potential. The test comes with a free app and you're able to follow the in-app plans to try to improve your motile sperm count with tips that are specifically designed in line with your results and your lifestyle. To get 15% off all XC products, visit xc.com and use the promotional code MFP15. That's MFP15. Now, let's get back to the show. But yeah, I mean, so I, I was having reservations about doing the micro TZ. I was kind of um, starting to really get the feeling that I, I could um, use donor sperm. That was what we we came to actually decide was probably the best option for us and, and what we both like to be a part of. Because I, I really wanted to see my wife, you know, but carry a child and be part of the journey and, and be there for the NCT and, and all that. Um, guys, you know, it's hard hard to think back to everything then but 
just every oh. every step of the way at the scans. It's all very. I, I, that's what I was, you know, feeling re- really robbed of as well, and I wanted to be part of that. And so, you know, in the end, what it came down to is we we had a conversation, and and Jenna actually said it was. She said, "What would you regret less?" It's kind of like whether I would just move on, and not do it. Would I always have that niggling feeling of should I have done it, or mm. would or would you do it and live with the consequences, whatever they are, or they might be fine. And, and then just, or as it happens, there are consequences, which now, again, this is a whole, going to be a whole episode in itself, but I'm now on testosterone replacement. Right. And that's from but, that. Yeah. Is that, oh, yeah. That basically accelerated my need for it. I expect that I probably would have ended up on it anyway, because yeah. when I was 34, having those initial tests, my levels were, Probably what uh, should, uh, a sixty or seventy year old man should have. Right. I mean, okay. and a- after the operation, they they just it stopped working. I went. I had the levels of like an eighty to ninety year old man. Mm. I essentially stopped producing it. And, and yeah, and she was right. You know, it 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 was a great point. And now being on the other side, being in that situation where I have had it and I'm now living with the consequences of it, I don't regret it. And it's impossible to put myself in the other shoes of having not done it and perhaps not being on TRT yet. Um, But then it's impossible to say whether I would have that niggling feeling. Um, But all I can say is that from my current viewpoint of where I am, I am happy with my choice. And because, and and that's to now come on to that. So I had that operation again, I'll explore it more in more depth uh, and hopefully we can even get some experts on to talk about what that involves um, mm-hmm. from their point of view. Cause I was certainly um, unconscious, but uh, it, I had that and there was no sperm found. They, and, and unlike all of the other kind of processes and the other operation I'd had, there was no waiting to find that out. Right. Literally I woke up, I came around. Um, and if anyone's seen it, there's, a, there's a, a picture Famous on my Instagram. Picture. Yeah, literally where I've got my thumbs up with this kind of massive padded jock strap on and these hospital socks. And I'm sitting there gurning with a big grin there must with be my a thumbs way, up. There must be a way we can um, put that as like the the image for this podcast. But uh-huh. this, this maybe, maybe one week only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's on my Insta and it's on my website as well. So it is what it is. But, um, you know, I still to this day have no idea why I'm flipping smiling. I've just been told, <laughs> I've just been told there is no sperm. There you, there was, you know, the urologist stood there. He's going, you know, he's just been in both of my nuts. Yeah. And it's funny because like to me, you know, I got wheeled in the theater. This is the next thing I know. Whereas um, just before we were going down, they were telling um, both of us that it could last anywhere between half an hour or two hours, right? depending on how much exploration they need to do. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, I was in there for the full two hours. And then right. you kind of, um, you know, a little bit longer with the patching up and wheeling out and stuff. So my wife knew and she said she actually found that a really upsetting moment because she was there on her own in, in this kind of waiting room. Mm. The t- minutes were ticking on and she was just like every minute that went past she knew what the result was going to end up being um so you know that hit me um and and as much as I thought I was in a a place of acceptance before that it's interesting because actually hearing that result there's such a stark um like closure to it yeah that, that that actually did 
it took some time to get over. It wasn't like, uh, I was like, okay, press the button on donor sperm now, let's go. We, I mean, firstly, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I've heard of some some chaps going back to work after five days. Yeah. For, the five, for the five days after mine, I, I all I could do was be in bed or on the sofa. And if I needed to, which I was trying to avoid, was go to the toilet. Yeah, I, I, I was walking like John Wayne, and that, that would be probably doing a disservice to John Wayne. It's <laughs> like a lot slower to him than him, but um, yeah, it wasn't a nice place uh, to be. It was achingly, bakingly hot as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was the August bank holiday weekend, and um, oh, it was so hot, and I was just so uncomfortable. I was sitting with ice as much as I could on my balls. Like, I bought these gel packs, like the refreezable, mm. like sports ones. Cause that was helping with the swelling, but I was in uh, not being able to do so anything for five days. And the, you can't sit on your phone for five uh, five days yeah. solid. You can't watch telly. I mean, I've certainly given it a good go. But so yeah, I ended up sitting there alone in my thoughts a lot, and and I couldn't expect Jenna to be there all the time. And it was you know sunny August bank holiday. I was like, no, you yeah. go out. So, but the, do you know that I often think back to that time because we live in such a fast paced world everything's go 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 all the time how often do we get five days to just sit and be in our own heads yeah it's it's, and, it's rare isn't it like yeah super rare but i think it's so important like whoa we've said it a thousand times but we discussed this topic about actually taking your time mm. in terms of taking time for you as an individual and as a couple during a very challenging experience, it's the only way to put it, isn't it? Um, but I, I, I have, didn't have, um, the same procedure as you. I didn't have one of those, but, uh, I had an operation on my ankle like years ago and it was a similar thing. Just sat there, just sat there doing nothing. And you, your brain's going, well, this is fine. My head's fine. I need to do something. Uh, and it's just another challenge of the situation you find yourself in, isn't it? One that you yeah. probably weren't expecting. Like you didn't expect to feel completely bored for a week or yeah. in complete agony for a week. Um, you know, I've talked to people about the microtesi and, it, you know, it's a very in, in, intrusive procedure. Um, and there's no way of kind of, buttercoat in that is there you know you can't you can't you're gonna you're gonna be in pain you're gonna need that time um but when almost there's so much going on in your head the last thing you want to do is sit still you know we talked about the fact before of how important like exercise is to both of us but you get probably you know next to finding out that you have no sperm the second most um emotional news you've received and you're told, well, now you've got to sit still for five days. Yeah. I couldn't imagine how, how tough it was psychologically. Yeah, yeah, and it it was. And and like like you touched on, we do talk about like how important exercise is for us. And my natural reaction to that would have been either to do some horrendous hit workout or yeah. go for a walk because it for me that's like meditation. I, I often am only thinking about what I'm doing right there, and it just it's a great escape. But mm. Couldn't do that. Um, and I was in my own head. And, and actually, um, there's a balance with being in, in your own head because yeah. I often say to guys now, it's, 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 it's good to work through your thoughts and emotions, feelings, but actually don't stay there too long because mm. actually you don't start to find answers. Uh, you just kind of go around in circles. 
but that five days was almost like the perfect amount of time for me to process a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then I started becoming a little bit more mobile, just kind of going for waddles around the kind of <laughs> the, the neighborhood or the drive, drive into the town and just walk around. And so, yeah, it was, per, it was a good, good moment for me really. And then, you know, in a bad situation, made the best of that in terms of like self-reflection. And then it, I still took, it took me four weeks to get over that op. Um, the last week of which was our first week of holiday in the South of France. Um, first week of two and I still had the scab on my ball sack at that mm-hmm. point and and probably above exercise for me my number one favorite thing is swimming in, and swimming in the sea is like the pinnacle of that um, yeah I, I love it it's I grew up in a coastal town it's like it's me and I couldn't do it I couldn't get in because I still had flipping essentially a, a wound and um I lasted a few days and I did and it got uh, like soft and just fell off. Oh, and and it, oh, right, in fairness, yeah. luckily it didn't bleed underneath. And to be like the salt water is probably good Still for it. We'll just sort it out, mate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> does it heals everything. Chop a leg off. Oh, sorry, jump in the sea. Jump in the sea. It'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but there's still that fear with it, isn't it? Yeah. Like, especially with your previous experience of mumps and stuff, the last thing you want is uh, an infection in your balls because you yeah. know how painful that is and it's not a nice experience. No, no, it was. It, it was, it was, um, quite quite a moment getting in I was like yeah I was really really fearful and yeah it all it all worked out for the best thankfully and uh I was like come on it's four weeks now I need to move on and um, yeah yeah the I, mind the mind wants it sometimes yeah. the body can't give it can it yeah um and I, I just find that or I found definitely that even the most basic decision when you're going through you know that experience that journey is you know we don't like to call it even the most basic decision you question, you know, like, is this the right decision? Is this going to benefit me or damage what I'm ultimately want to do? And because you might not realize it, but I suspect there was a thought in your head that what if, you know, you, you did this and it did even more damage or, you know, yeah, yeah very, very highly driven anxiety at that point, I would have expected, yeah. mate. Yeah, yeah, it was. There was still a lot going on in my head. I was still kind of having to refine that last level of acceptance um, of like, can I, you know, be the father to don't conceive children? And actually, I read a book on the beach in the, on that holiday, which essentially changed my life. It really pushed me into not just acceptance, but like this like high form of it. And that was um, I've got it here somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, it's called The Little Big Things by Henry Fraser. Right. And he's a chap who had it all kind of going for him. Very good rugby player, good at school, and then got paralysed on a lad's holiday from the neck down. Right. And he, his story is inspirational. And I think yeah. actually, again, I'll save that. Perhaps we should have an uh, episode on that. Well, yeah, it will, to be fair. There's a lot of stuff that helped me through, and that, that book was one of them, but a lot of podcasts, a lot of other stories of people who have been faced adversity and been through it and come out the other end. Yeah. And 100%, I wanted to um, talk more about those because they were such a big help for me. But that book was huge. That then kind of as we got home and moved into the autumn, like October, uh, that's when I really started okay, coming back to that place. And I was like, okay, let's start looking at some uh, some, some donors. And um, we started making our selections and that 
we, we chose kind of middle of both of us rather than just trying to replicate me because that was something which I had let go of. And I think it is important that, that I wasn't going to pass on my genetics. I wasn't passing on my, my looks, my, hmm. my, my traits, my, well, no, the traits you do pass on to be fair, but you know, my physical appearance, I, I had come to terms with the fact that I wasn't, I didn't want to just create, try and create, a, yeah. you know, a, like a, mini a you. new me. Yeah, yeah. Because that's all part of that grieving process really. And, and, and I was comfortable that I, I was letting that go. So we chose middle of both of us, what we both had, like blue eyes, green eyes, um, hair color, height, medium and stuff like that. And we were given six example, uh, six, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Six donors, like yeah, because you also donors, yeah, yeah, because we we also chose our sperm bank in house, uh, our clinic, rather than kind of complicate things more by looking to go abroad and right. ship them in or something or yeah, from yeah, a, yeah. any other banks in the UK. So it meant that there were there was less choice, but actually that wasn't a bad thing for us because it can lead to like decision fatigue if you've got hundreds or thousands of. of top, of, of selections to make well it's a it's a massive it's a massive decision isn't it like it's I, I couldn't contemplate making a decision like that not even with my experience right now mm. um the the processing uh you've had to go through to do that uh, as like you said like let go of that that need for that biological connection but acknowledging that connection is still going to be there yeah and then choosing, you know, uh, ultimately what sperm you're going to use for your for your children. I mean, I even yeah. now, like talking about it, we've talked about it before. It's something that is so complex, and yeah. um, I, I just I, I can't, almost can't imagine or put into words how I'd feel about it. Do you know yeah, they... how, how I'd have to process that myself? Um, but it's so important that people hear what you you know how you've done it and how you've kind of done that processing and come to the point where you're comfortable with that because you actually acknowledge that being a father is so much bigger than just that little sperm. Yeah, just uh, it's, it's it's just interesting. Like I said, talking to you and and learning how you've processed that is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot more to explore because, mm. to use your word, it's complex, and it's yeah. knowing that that decision that we're about to make is going to impact the rest of our lives and yeah. an actual life that we hope to bring into the world. Yeah, it's, it's um, so complex that for once yeah. I don't really have words to kind of explain how I'm t- <laughs> like uh, how I'd feel about it. Like that's generally yeah. how I, how I'm feeling right now, thinking yeah, about it. There is so much to it, and and again, we, we've got many future episodes to explore that in detail. And we made the selection. We we pulled over it for a couple of weeks. We made our selection, and and then we we said, right, we're ready to go. And then the kind of spotlight or the the eye of Mordor, the the yeah. the, the, the fertility eye of doom, then uh, cast its shadow on onto onto Jenna, and I then fell into that support role, which yeah. actually is a hard place to be um, mm. because I did feel cast aside by the medical professionals to a degree um, by the people so always asking now how she was, but I was dealing with a, a tremendous amount of guilt because of yeah. the pain that she was in from the injections, not to mention the fact that she had a serious uh, 
needle phobia. Right. And would often faint when we were at the clinic doing blood samples, for example. I've got about eight pictures of her fainting different times. And um, so then suddenly we're just at home with these needles. She's got to do it herself. So, yeah. you know, what the feelings I had. Of and I felt so helpless and guilty. And we, we pressed on and we were due to, we had the egg retrieval in mid-December mm. and uh, had then we had that the kind of the weight where overnight so you, you have a certain amount of eggs which um, you hope that are developed um, and then you have um, overnight you get the kind of score of how many have, uh, have actually developed overnight into the, the, the one day blastocyst but then what you're looking to do is, is get to the five day or some days sometimes three day blastocyst yeah. will be um, transferred but what happened with my with us is that Jenna actually produced twenty six eggs, which is a hell of a number. But that comes with consequences, and that that was she developed ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome uh, because yeah. essentially this is the clues in the title. But her ovaries became overstimulated, produced so many follicles, so many eggs that when all those eggs were taken out of the follicles, thirteen on each side, they essentially filled with fluid, and it's really serious and can be fatal. And she was really poorly. So we knew she had that almost immediately because of the way they can tell. And so we knew that we wouldn't be having that embryo transfer in, in five days or at all for yeah. an unlimited amount of time. And, and it was so hard because we thought we were finally getting somewhere. And so then we had the rug pulled completely again. And there's literally, they just said, right, it gave us all this information about what it is. If you feel this symptom or that symptom, don't come here, don't phone your doctors, go straight to hospital, call 999, and you're like, flipping hell, this is serious. And I actually had to phone the clinic back up when I got home because yeah. I was in like, a state of shock. And, and obviously, not to mention the massive upset of knowing we wouldn't be having the transfer. I, yeah. I was in shock. My wife was so ill immediately, like really ill. And so I had to phone her back up to, to find out that kind of aftercare and... and it was really hard. I remember she went to bed like almost immediately. We got home and, and she was breathing so shallow, like because yeah. it. So, so her ovaries were really uh, swollen, and it pushes up and the diaphragm. Up, yeah, yeah, really impacts breathing. And I remember I kept going up and checking on her. She was breathing so like shallowly. Is that even a word? So shallow and yeah. like really like just faint, short breaths, and really scary, really scary, and um. And that was really hard in the fact that we were just told, like, yeah, you just got to go away. The, the, your embryos will be frozen, and um, and you have to um, wait till you get better. Wait, because uh, um, the same thing happened to Jen during it, when we were going for Enya. She overstimulated, and it is as a as a partner, it is one of the scariest things I've ever experienced mm, as a husband. It was. Yeah, just like they give you, like you said, the limited, limited information, but it's like the most critical information you could have. They make it sound well. They do make it sound exactly what it is, which is really dangerous. Yet you have to keep calm, keep collective, even though your anxieties are through the roof right at that moment because you've just been told an additional piece of information that's put everything on hold. But somehow you muddle through, don't you? Somehow. That's the only way I can describe it, just muddling through. 
yeah, I, uh, that basically sums up <laughs> any just, a fertility journey. You don't know how you do it. Just, you muddle on, but just muddle on, like. But given that information, I like as you were explaining it, then it just brought back my memories of being told like you're overstimulating, yeah. you can't go ahead. Yeah. No, it's really after, tough. After all these injections, after all this miniature journey within a journey. I remember the next morning. Yeah, the, the morning when they told her uh, that when they phoned us to give us the the overnight results, which mm. was that twenty one had made that overnight stage. Yeah, um, the embryologist that phoned us. Sometimes some people in life are so brilliant without even really knowing, or I think even trying. And you could tell yeah. that her answer was so natural and yeah. unrehearsed, unscripted. And so she gave us a number, and we we're like, "Oh, she was like, that's fantastic, well done." Um, and, and Jenna said, well, you know, not that it matters right now because I've got OHSS and we have to wait an unlimited amount of time and have a, fo- a frozen uh, transfer. And she was just so flippant and so quick. And bear in mind, this is a scientist whose expertise is fertility. Yeah. She went, well, there is a, a massive school of thought that actually frozen transfers are better because it lets your body get over all the medication that you've been taking, all the, all the hormones, all the stimulants for the last like couple of weeks or a month. That actually, then you're you're in a more natural state, and yeah. that made us feel so much more positive. And and we tried to give feedback. Well, like we said, can whoever that if it's noted who phoned us, this was months down the line, but we were like, can can that embryologist please be thanked because her words meant so much to us. Yeah. And um, so you know that the next couple of months were actually for Jenna especially a really dark place because we were just in this kind of again in the doldrums didn't know how long it was going to be until we could go again and um and then also in the days after her belly swelled so much it looked like she was six months pregnant yeah and yeah that was really hard because that's what you desperately want to be and and we were so far from it at that point i remember like once jen once it all started to flush out she uh like just couldn't get off the loo like just urinating all the mm. time the amount of water the body was just flooding out was unbelievable um but exactly what you said that distinct kind of big stomach really like swollen stomach mm. um and it's 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 hard to see like almost because it's a view you want to see but with a baby in there you know yeah and, yeah absolutely yeah she um she was really in a bad place and, and really withdrew actually from a lot of social stuff, a lot of seeing friends and family. And, and that's what she's all about. She's such a social butterfly, but yeah. to see her do that was really hard. Um, we ended up with 12 embryos out of that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a really good number. And actually, so kind of fast forward another couple of months and more waiting. Um, we went yeah. for more tests and stuff. And in February, 2020, this one it was, they said, uh, okay, you're ready on your next cycle your next monthly cycle you're going to be ready to go again we knew roughly when when it would be uh and had the dates had all the meds ready to go it was we were due to start in two days time and then march 20 was it 20th of march or 22nd of march yeah lockdown 21st i think it was because yeah uh, whatever the date was of the big lockdown we were two days after that we were due to start again and all the fertility clinics were shut immediately and again, we're just in this phase of not knowing what's going on. And I know, like, you know, the whole country, the whole world was in this, like, in, in, in any respect. And, and and actually, do you know what? By that point, we were like, this is 
the whole the whole thing has been out of our control. The whole fertility struggle, but this is really out of our control. It was a worldwide thing, and actually, we just kind of embraced it. We we played the game, you know, we did what we were being told to do. Not that uh, the government were, but <laughs> let's not make this a political. Yeah. Let's not let's not talk about that one, mate. No, no um, <laughs> so, but we you know we did it, and we 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 actually it was good for us as a couple because with our work we were often could be like passing ships in the night but suddenly we were together mm. all the time and and it was i know i know you know for some it can that can drive people crazy but because we didn't really ever have that time before it was good yeah we really started focusing in on focusing on health on mind and body we were exercising all the time together and then obviously going out for our hour walk that you could have and having garden workouts and then obviously you'll remember that that may was just gloriously hot like every day uh, the sunniest may on record or whatever it was and we were just in the garden all the time and we, and you know we got pissed sometimes and, and that's what we, we needed that blowout i mean yeah. we had a really funny video where we were playing beer pong and um here's just a general tip for anyone but don't play beer pong with me because i have an extremely good aim <laughs> i i'm basically like the best cricketer that never was i i'm a very very good thrower and a very very good catcher yeah but, I've never been into cricket. <laughs> I should, and well, I played once for my local team. and Got bowled out for a golden duck. I think it is. I actually stumped myself out as well. But anyway, I could have just been a fielder my whole career. I would have been brilliant. But anyway, yeah, digress. Money doing that, mate. Yeah, just to feel like, your turn to go back. No, I don't do that. I just don't feel. I just catch. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but um, so yeah, we had a good time, and and actually, it was May of that year that the clinics were given the green light to open yeah. and. That was very dependent on the clinic whether they could pass certain tests with the government about how how they're set up. And we were fortunate that ours was open straight away. And as it happens as well, Jenna was in the right right place in her cycle, and we were able just to go. We didn't have to go there again because we had all the meds. Yeah, and and we were just they were like right go. Uh, this is your date. They sent us through like the forms with what you do on what day, what measurements, and um. And that was the one, and and we, we had the the embryo transfer. So it was technically our first transfer, but it took so long to bloody get there. Um, yeah. I think it's third time of asking, and um, and it was fortunately for us, it was it was positive, and uh, that then became our amazing, beautiful twins, Ray and Evelyn, who were born oh, in mate. February twenty one. That's that's um, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, yeah. isn't it? Like. Uh, yeah, it was one cycle, but it took a long time to get there, didn't it? Yeah, and did it just up and down, up and down, starting, stopping. But you got there, and you got what you set out for. Which, yeah. um, how did you feel when it when oh, you like man. when they when those little ones were first handed to you? Mm. How, it was um, um, quite incredible, did, but scary in other ways i mean i found the whole pregnancy quite an anxious time yeah. uh, because i was just hyper aware of we're not there yet um yeah. even though it was a massive relief to get that positive test and then the 12 week scan i was just a wreck we had three or four late night trips to the to the fertility ward uh, the maternity right. ward sorry to um for, for scans because of perceived lack of movement um yeah, that was yeah. always and, and i wasn't allowed in because it was covid time so a lot of times sat out in the car listening to talk sport with like absolute knots in my stomach um i had my mind was playing a lot of tricks on me during a pregnancy about connection and mm. how would i feel and it was 
it's like almost like that internal safety mechanism of like, yeah, this is your last chance to get out of fuck out of Dodge. Um, you know, this is something we I would we definitely need to explore more because it's it's quite common amongst um, the guys I speak to. Uh, so when we got there, when they were born, amazing. Um, the, the birth wasn't great for Jenna. We did uh, cesarean, which is planned, which is the um, preferred route for twins. Um, yeah. But she lost a lot of blood and had to have free blood transfusions. And, right, okay. Um, was extremely poorly after that. So nothing part, nothing, no part of our journey was easy. And no, um, no. She was so ill that, um, so because it was again COVID times, I wasn't allowed into the theater, um, until she was all literally wired up, ready to go to have the babies. And, um, quite a funny story, but my mate who had a couple of kids said, Right, before you go in, make sure you have a shit, a nervous poo. <laughs> and, um, so we were top told tip, that, yeah, exactly, the, uh, yeah, podcast there, going for cesarean, have a shit, exactly. I, I popped into town because I was like, because they said, look, you, you, they usually try and prioritise twin cesareans, but mm. there's a chance that emergency mm. ones will be ahead of you, overnighters and stuff. Yeah. So I popped into town, got a coffee, and came back to the, towards the hospital and was like, oh, I need to poo. It's coming. Yeah. Not just the baby, something else is coming. <laughs> <laughs> so and I was there, and um, I was on the toilet, and uh, and then Jenna gives me the call. She's like, we're going in. I'm all, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, so anyway, got in there, and... Uh, yeah, and then you know she had them. Ray came out first, and yeah. um, she was holding him. And then this alarm went off, and all these other—I call them the big dogs—ran in. That you could tell by their, their just the way they carried themselves that they were like the experienced on-call crew. Yeah, yeah. Then Evelyn came out, and um, I was just—we had this plan that um, if any, if either or both needed to go to the NICU for any reason, I was to go, um, mm. and then. I remember just stood in the middle of three. I've got Ray not breathing, uh, yeah. and uh, but with one midwife who was going, come on, come on, like rubbing yeah, yeah. him, tapping him and stuff. And then we've got Evelyn with a gaggle of about six people around her. Yeah. And I've got Jenna going purple or like, like her, her like lips, nose, ears were going purple. Her face was just like white. Yeah. And like shaking, like convulsing as well. And I'm like, right. As much as I want these kids, I did not sign up to lose Jenna for this. And yeah. I, I stood in the middle of the room. I didn't know what to do. And then they were said, right, Evelyn needs to go to, to the um, the NICU. And I was like, well, fuck, I've got to go. And it was like really hard leaving Ray, Jenna, and then going. But, you know, that's our agreement. I had to do it. And she wasn't in there for long, thankfully, about an hour. And then yeah. I, I went to the recovery ward. And then Ray got wheeled in. Um, it's the first time I held him then. And then so I was with the two kids on my own. And then about, yeah. I don't know, half an hour later or so, Jenna then came in, still extremely pale, very clammy, very yeah. cold. She had like millions of blankets on her, still shaking, saying she was cold. And, you know, there, there's always, always, and, and this will be clear throughout both of our stories, there's always a positive to be found. And um, so because it was COVID times, I was told that I'm only allowed in the recovery ward following right. the operation. And then after that, when Jenna goes to the maternity ward, I have to go, I'm not allowed in there. Yeah. Um, and they were saying the average time in a recovery ward is two to four hours. But because of what happened to her and how poorly she was, she was in there for 36. Right. So I was there the whole time. And I, it was like a baptism of fire for me um, yeah. with the kids. I was, she was two weeks to do anything. 
I was feeding them the colostrum that we've been collecting leading up to there. I was doing the nappies with a little bit of like help and guidance from the midwives, but yeah, yeah. which do so, an, they do an amazing job, mate. Those, yeah, they were brilliant. Those women that work in yeah. that ward and you know, help it's us funny because, um, lost fathers at certain points, mate. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's um, we've been told by one of our neighbor, a couple who lived like our neighbors who had had a kid about a month before they were like, right, there's no food in the hospitals. Like take your own. They won't give you any because yeah. it's all like very sanitized, very, you know, just wary of stuff. They honestly, I've never been so well fed. <laughs> <laughs> I had this like bag full of pot noodles and sweets and stuff, but no, that they were scrammy right, right away. That's no. all right, isn't it? <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it, it was so, that was a great time for me to, to bond with the kids and, yeah. and, to start doing all stuff. And I remember when we got home um, a couple of days later, uh, and Jenna was still weak, you know, really bruised and stuff in the op. And then when she eventually was able to say, like, I want to, to start changing nappies and stuff. And she was like, Oh, what do you do? And I was like, I'll show you. I got <laughs> this. Over. I've got this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it was, it, it was, um, it was a good time for me to, to really uh, die, jump in at the deep end with, with fatherhood. And it was special. And, I know it's a cliche, but it truly was like, it was just magical and, and mm. it just felt right from that moment onwards. And it, it, it yeah, really special. And, and we have we've just talked about the fact that a parenthood needs at least one episode for it, yeah. itself. And, and we'll explore this in, in more detail, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a huge challenge of course. And, and, but it is special. And even this evening of getting from work at five, they go better at half six, seven and, making that hour and a half, two hours count is so vital. Like just really appreciating every minute you get. Cause I would obviously rather be with them every minute of the day, but yeah, you have to get to this annoyance called work. Yeah. I, well, I've learned that the busier I get, the more important that valued time is. Yeah. Like, uh, even if it's, they've got me for 20 minutes before I go back out, it's 20 minutes of quality time, whether it's with the children or whether it's with, you know, Jen or whether it's with my mum because she's come to see me, you know, whatever hat I've got on, making sure that's quality time is incredible. Um, incredibly important, sorry. I'll tell yeah. you something, I, something we're going to have to talk about, uh, which will take a complete episode, is obviously the what COVID did to people's experiences. Yeah. Because for Enya, we went through, um, it was around COVID time. Um, and it was a completely different experience to when Sibby was born. So it's definitely yeah. something I want to talk definitely. about, the difficulties around there. Because it's something that's, in recent years, has been really hot discussion. Like you would have talked to guys, I've talked to guys about their experiences. Um, really challenging time. But yeah. your, your story, mate, is... It is inspirational in terms of like you know, how you've processed everything, how you've, you know, you're so willing to talk about it. Um, and it and it had a good ending for you. It had a really positive ending. And, you know, I've really appreciated you sharing it tonight. Uh, we could be here for hours, I reckon, yeah. talking about, yeah, talking yeah, about it. And that does feel, yeah, I mean, it feels like a, a, a good place to, to bring this episode to a close. We've yeah. probably talked a lot more than what we planned but that's the, the nature of it isn't it but yeah, i see we'll i think i think I, i'm up next mate like you, you the next certainly episode, are, yeah. and i can talk 
Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how long that one is, but it's been it's been amazing. It's been a really, really, really good episode, mate. And and I've learned things tonight that I didn't uh, know about. Yeah, know about your experience. And in my head, I'm going. That's really similar to what I went through. I remember that feeling. Oh, that I didn't experience that, but I wonder what it felt like. Um, and I'm sure listeners are. Uh, thinking the same thing so if they are we really want to hear from them don't we yeah absolutely um, so uh instagram what's instagram, instagram is at, not like memory like <laughs> instagram is at the male fertility podcast and we also have an email if you're not on instagram we have an email and i know this one the male Got fertility podcast at gmail.com there we go absolutely that's it nailed, nailed it. it yeah <laughs> yeah get but, in contact send us any questions you may have and we'll cover them in future episodes um and and yeah until then we'll be back for the next episode which is kieran's episode which is mine i can't wait mate right take care everyone yeah cheers Have have a good one buddy